You know, sometimes I'm just so thankful that God created music because it can really bring a peace to your heart and it can bring a calmness that I think we all need at times. And I'm so thankful for God for that gift that he's given to us that we can recognize who the gift giver is and say thank you. And so this morning we're continuing our series, What Does FBC Port Orange Stand For? Right? Obviously it means First Baptist Church of Port Orange. But I want to say, what do we really stand for? What are our principles? What are our core values? What are the things that we want to be all about in this church? When people come and, and visit this church as guests, when you become a member, when you become a leader, when you actively participate in this church, what are we all about? What are we, what are we here for? Why did God plant this church at this place at this time? What are his purposes for our existence? And so we began uh, to dive into that, and we started with F, we are friendly fellowship, right? We want to be a friendly fellowship. We want to be a place where you build deep, meaningful relationships with people that believe in Jesus as their Savior. We want to have a church that has anyone, no matter what they look like, what their background is, what their perspective on life is, they're welcomed in, that they can belong, and then they can believe, and then they can become that they become a follower of Christ, and we love them where they're at. We don't ask people to get right and come to church. We ask people to come to the Lord, and he gets them right. Right? And it's not our job. It's his, the Holy Spirit of God, to do the refining, to do the changing, to do the growing and maturing. And so we're here today. Our job, the, God, the, the job that God gives us is we've got to like each other. We've got to smile and encourage each other and uplift each other and commit more than just this morning. Because this morning, you're going to stand and sing a song. You're going to sit down. Uh, we're going to listen to some passages. That's not really building deep relationships with people around you, even though this is so important and we need to do this together. What we also need is this smaller time where you go to John Adams Bible study or you go to Mildred's Bible study or, or you come and get involved in a group of, of 12 or less people and you get to know their names and you pray for them because for, uh, of what you know about them and there's a deep bond that's built. And so we want to be that kind of church where there's a friendly fellowship, a place to belong, a place to be part of a family and a body that's on a mission. Today, the second principle, the second um, part of what we stand for is the B. We are Bible-based. Bible-based. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be um, honest this morning. I try to be honest every week. Hopefully I'm honest all the time, right? Um, I'm going uh, to be transparent. When I was young, I didn't really care about the Bible very much. Um, when I was all the way up to when I was 16 years old, I was a pastor's kid, but I really did not have an appetite. I knew you should have an appetite for the Bible. I knew that, that you should want to read it and understand it, but I really did not have that. The Bible was a book that they used at church. It was a religious book. It talked about God. I knew a lot of the stories because I had been in church, but it really had no significance. If you gave me the choice, watch college football or read a Bible, I was going to watch college football. If you gave me the choice, watch basketball, play sport, or read the Bible, even if you gave me the choice of other things, the Bible wasn't on my list of things that I was interested in or had value in my life or importance. But when I turned 16 years old, that was my story, the moment in my life when the Holy Spirit of God convicted me of my sin, and he called me to a, make a decision. And he said, Mike, you need, to, you need to give me your life, and honestly give me your life. Repent of your sins and believe and trust in me. 
And one of the things that happened, and we talk about this, if, if you're new, we talk about this almost every week, being twice born, being born spiritually. One of the things that happened when I was twice born, when I was born of the Spirit, is that God planted a seed of hunger for his word, a hunger to know it more and to want to have an understanding of it. And so from that place on, I went on to go to Liberty University. I got an undergrad in biblical studies. I got a master's of arts in biblical studies. I got a master's of divinity. All of these things, all of this education was to study the Bible, to understand it, so I could be a, a one that would rightly divide the word of God. And every week since, being in ministry almost 20 years now, full-time ministry, every week, every day, having some contact with this book. The 66 books written over 1,400 years by 40 different authors. To me, this is what we as a church, the church as a whole in the world, we need to stand up and be more vocal about the importance of God's word. And I say that because when I, in those years of my life, the thing that guided my life was what, before I came to the Lord, was what everyone else was doing, what my gut told me, and what my desires led me to. And all three of those things are destructive, right? All three of those things. And unfortunately, right now, as we look at the world, and we even look at our government, we looked at our systems, unfortunately, the, the, the base, the foundation, the point of reference has become what is popular opinion, what is our gut feeling, and what makes us feel good, right? And those are very dangerous things to make the base out of. And so this morning, we're going to look at this um, as a church. We have agreed that we believe that the Bible is inspired by God. It is from the Holy Spirit. It is without flaw. It is the, the perfect word of God for us this morning, and it penetrates our heart, and it divides our thoughts, and it helps us to know God more. And so the question the world isn't asking, but we need to, we need to bring to the surface is, why is the Bible so important? Why is it so important that we build our foundation on God's word? Why is that so important? We're going to look into his word. We're going to look at the word to tell us this answer. And so before we go to it, let's take it very seriously and let's precede it with prayer. And as we go into this time of prayer, there are distractions. You have bills, you have problems, you have family issues. There's all these things. There's even noises that we hear that can distract us. But we don't want to be distracted from listening to God. And so as we come to this time of prayer, just for a moment of silence, let's consciously center our hearts on God and try to say no to any distraction and yes to the voice of God as we read his words. Let's pray. Father, you are holy, you are righteous, and you are just. And we come to you here in this place, we gather in your name to hear your words and to sing your praises and to declare our thanksgiving to you. 
And so, Lord, as we look at the words that you've inspired through your Holy Spirit, through your prophets, Lord, through your servants, through the apostles, that, Lord, we would hear clearly in our spirit, in our mind, in our soul, that we would understand what you're saying, and that, Lord, we would apply the healing and truth that you reveal to us, that our ways would align with your ways, that our thoughts would align with your thoughts, that our actions would be pleasing to you. And so we ask this, we ask this in your name, the name of the Son who died for our sins, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. To get a good example of why this is so important for us to use God's word as a foundation, we look at the very foundational church. Um, We find that when Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, he rose from the grave, that he met with a group of people. He revealed himself to over 400 people, but then he said, I must go. I must go so the helper can come and fulfill my mission of sharing the gospel with the world and building my church. And so the disciples gathered um, in a room and they began to pray and ask God to show them what he had for them, what they're to do, how they can be in obedience. And the Holy Spirit fell upon them And they began to speak and they began to proclaim the gospel to all the world. And this was the foundation of the church. The church was birthed. And then this is the account we're given of that birth. Luke took the time to get eyewitness accounts so we could know exactly what happened. And here's what he said the first church was like. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. They, being the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Who were the apostles? The apostles are the ones who were eyewitnesses of Jesus, that were part of his ministry, and were recording the teachings of Christ. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And so they devoted themselves to studying God's word together. They devoted themselves to building deep, meaningful relationships and fellowship. And then they broke bread, both through communion and through meals. They shared meals together, and they recognized the death, burial, resurrection of Christ through communion. And that's what we'll be doing this morning as well. And all of that they would do under and with prayer. And so this morning, if the first church did it, it's something that's an example for us to do today. And so we want to look at what did the apostles teach on this issue of God's word? Why is it important? Why does it matter? And so we have to recognize that there's a problem. There's a major problem. And first, I want to look at the problem that the world has, the problem that the world struggles with. Now, the church struggles with this, but this is definitely the world's issue right now. And we're going to look at Romans chapter 1, verse 28 through 32. Romans chapter 1, verse 28 through 32. And here's what we're told about the world's problem. Furthermore, just, and he's speaking of the world, as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, meaning they didn't think it was worthwhile to study God's word, to study the apostles' teaching, they didn't think it was worthwhile to have a Bible or look to the Bible for any kind of knowledge or information. They did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what they ought not be done. 
They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they, do not, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. And so what we're told here, and remember the Romans were much like the, uh, those of the United States, right? They decided that their way was best, that they would be led by popular opinion, gut feeling, and whatever made them feel good. And what were they led to with these principles? They were led to all forms of wickedness. They hated God. They hated the ways of God. And the further we get away from a foundation in God's word, the more we will see wicked acts around us. We will see violence. You will have to get more locks and more cameras, and you'll have to have more laws because it will become more and more corrupt. We grow on what we're fed. The seeds that are planted within us produce things in our lives. There can be wicked seeds that are planted in a culture. There can be wicked seeds that are planted in my heart. And as they grow, they mature and they become more and more effective and powerful. And so what we're seeing as we look at the news and we look at our culture and we look at the world is the maturing of what happens when you resist God when you say we no longer are one nation under God, we are no longer looking at the principles of his word, we no longer look at him in submission and say, God, what is your will? We say, what is our will? My will be done. I think it's interesting if you study world religions and if you study uh, basically the, the world views of those around us, I think the most prevalent world view today in the United States is witchcraft. Witchcraft's core tenet the base belief of witchcraft is, do what you want as long as it doesn't hurt someone else. Do what you want as long as it doesn't hurt someone else. And I believe since probably the 1960s, we have replaced what does God say with do what you want unless it hurts someone else. And we are now reaping the harvest of what that produces. I would encourage you, I have been to the inner cities, I have been to the places where there's the highest populations, and guess what you find? You find all forms of evil, and you find people that are disheartened, they see no hope to life, because there's no value, there's no purpose, because they have been indoctrinated with, do whatever feels good, as long as it doesn't hurt someone else. And so we have to, in a loving way, stand up for truth. 
We have to stand up for the fact that what we're seeing is what has been planted and what God has told us through his word. It is very clear in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. Here's what it says. There is a way that appears right, but in the end it leads to death. There is a way that appears right. There are so many people that think if I focus in on my gut feeling, if I focus in on what everyone else is doing, if I just follow the crowd, something good has to happen, right? Something good has to come of this. There has to be a good outcome. And God is revealing. He is saying to us, no, there is a way that might seem right to you, but in the end it leads to death. And so the question is, how do you and I know that where we're going is life? How do we know? How does any human know that the path that they're on, the direction that they're going, is leading to life? It produces a great problem, a great challenge. Even so much that it infiltrates the church, it impacts the church, because here we see the issues within the church. 2 Timothy verses 4 through uh, Two through four, here's what it says. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. All right, so it's saying you need to clearly present this to the world, to the people, to the church. Why? It says in verse three, why? For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. Okay? So I read this as a pastor. I recognize the severity of what I do. I recognize the importance of what must be done. And I recognize a world that we live in. And I think the great challenge, the great challenge, and this challenge begins within me. It begins within you. It's something that's in our heart. It's something that's in our soul. The great challenge is do I approach God as the father of authority in my life, willing to change, and we use the word in church, repent, if it's revealed that that's what needs to happen. You see, the challenge you and I have is I assume I'm a good person. I assume my ways are good. I assume I'm a pretty smart guy. And when I'm confronted by the Holy Spirit of God and he says to me, you need to change, what is my response? What is my response? And that's a very uncomfortable place. That's a very uncomfortable place because you're dealing with the root of the problem. Just like in a relationship, you can avoid the root of the problem. You can imagine like it's not there. You can sweep it under the rug, but it's still there. Your financial problems, relational problems, all of these problems we have in life, we either take them head on or we avoid them and pretend like they're not going to show up. And the challenge we have 
is am I willing to hear on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, from the Holy Spirit of God that there are areas he needs me to be obedient to him, even though it makes me uncomfortable, it challenges me, and it puts me in a place where I recognize my need for him. And I'm not self-sufficient. I can't make it happen on my own. I don't have the ability to fix it. And so what I believe is it's saying here is there's a point, and I think it has come, when, when there will no longer be, thus saith the Lord, this is what God says, here is his standard, here is his word, here is who he has revealed to us that he is, right? I can't handle that. That is too overwhelming. I don't want to deal with the issues of the real issues, whether are the heart of the matter. I want to deal with the superficial issues, and I want to feel good about everything so I don't come to repentance. If I feel good about my sin, why would I ever repent of it? If it's not a big deal, it's not a big problem, it's not something to worry about, if it's not really that bad, then why would I repent of it? Why would I change my heart? Why would I change my actions? Why would I resist that temptation if it wasn't legitimately as bad as maybe I once thought it was. And so I believe there's a movement to preach and teach a message that makes you feel good about everything about yourself. God takes you exactly as you are, and he does, he loves you, but he loves you where he won't keep you where you are. He won't let you stay where you are. He loves you too much. And we know this, you know this, because either you have been a parent or you're an uncle or you, you've seen children and you know children's gut feelings aren't always correct. Children's emotional uh, reactions aren't always correct. Children's friends don't always lead them in the right direction. And as an earthly father, I know it's my responsibility to correct and to see it fulfilled. And God loves me too much to let me sit in the, the, the ooze and disgust that I find myself in at times. He loves me too much. And to heal me, to bring me to life, he has to convict me of that sin. He has to pull me out. And it's not always easy, and it's not always what I want, and it's not always sounding good to my ears. And so we have to realize that even within the church, God's word has lost its validity. In many places over the world, the base is not God's word. It's popular opinion. What does our modern culture teach us? How can we be progressive and aligned with what's going on in our world? How can we be relevant and on the same stage with everyone else and make everyone feel like they're perfect before God when we're not perfect before God? We need his grace. We need his forgiveness. Grace means nothing if sin means nothing. It must mean something. And we need to be reminded of that. And church is, is really like anything that's healthy in life. It hurts at times. It convicts. It makes you feel uncomfortable. Because before you get uncomfortable, you can't get to that place of peace that the Holy Spirit wants to give you and delivering you from that sin that so easily entangles. Here's what I would say as we look at God's word. God's word is focused on correction and preparation, not quick gratification and convenience. 
We've turned the gospel into a credit card. We've turned it into a credit card. And Jesus never said it was a credit card. In actuality, Jesus said the exact opposite. He said, consider the cost. If you want to follow me, consider the cost. A king doesn't go into war not knowing how many soldiers he has in comparison to the enemy's soldiers. A builder doesn't build his castle or his uh, building without he, him determining how much material he needs to build it. Jesus says, recognize the reality that being my child, being adopted into my family, it means that you submit to the Father's authority and obedience through grace. Grace opens the door for obedience. Grace doesn't mean we can be disobedient. And so it's so important that we recognize these things and live into these things. So what's the answer? The beautiful thing is God tells us the answer. 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 17, here's what he says. But as for you, and when he, the you is us, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those whom you learned it. We've learned it from Luke. We've learned it from Paul. We've learned it um, as we've read the entirety of Scripture. And how you from infancy have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. If you were ever to memorize Scripture, if you were ever to underline or mark, this is a Scripture you should do that with. Verse 16, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Good. All good is from God. All good. God put you on planet earth to reveal his goodness. And for you to fulfill and be obedient to God's plan for your life, you need correction, you need training, you need teaching. And that comes by listening to God's word. Amen? You listen to God's word and he trains you and equips you. Why? So that you can be the good in this world. Do you know what the answer to the bad in this world is? The church. We're the answer. We are God's answer to the bad. And the, the United States government is not the answer to the bad in the world. Right? Um, all of these organizations, all these things, and a lot of them are great and wonderful, and I, I support them 100%, but they are not the answer because it's the heart that is wicked. The actions that every human being is a result of the heart. And so we, those who follow Christ... We have to be trained and equipped so that we can be good and do these good things that reflect on other people and they see this is better than what I'm seeing around me. This is better than the gossip and the anger and the hatred and the violence and all of the mess in this world. This is better. I want that. I don't want what's happening over here with all of this backbiting, selfishness, self-centered, money-centered people. I want goodness. And for that to happen, I need to be taught and I need to be confronted by God through his word. And so that's why it's so important. 
2 Timothy 2, 14 and 15. This is my responsibility, our responsibility in our homes. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. When we fight and argue as a church, it destroys the gospel. When we're fighting and arguing about little terms and little things, it destroys our reputation. It destroys our ability to share the good news of Christ. So we got to stop arguing about things that aren't important, things that aren't valuable to the mission of the gospel. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. What is God looking for, to us for? That we can correctly handle his word. And the only way that you can correctly handle his word is if you listen to him every day. Isn't it an amazing thing that we listen through our eyes by reading his word? The only way I can know who God is and who I am is by listening to his word. And the way I listen to his word is by reading his word. People say things like this. I need a vision. Why doesn't God just give me a vision or show me a, a something? Why doesn't he tell me exactly what he wants? Why doesn't he make it clear? Why doesn't he speak to me? And you know what God says is, I am speaking to you every single day. I wrote it down so you wouldn't forget. I'm speaking to you. You keep wanting something else. I already told you what I wanted you to know. I already said it. Listen to what I've already said. Don't worry about what I haven't said. That's why it's so important that you and I base our lives on God's word. That we are Bible-based as a church and I am Bible-based as an individual. So here's the question and here's the statement. If you want to hear from God, you need to read his words. If you really want to hear from God today, as much as I love preaching, as much as this is important, it's not even close as you reading God's word. You need to read God's word if you want to hear from God. You want to hear what he has to say to you specifically, individually about your life, you read his word. You become a student of his word. You let him teach you and rebuke you and train you in righteousness. I was told, a friend of mine told me that um, he cared about a guy and the guy was going through a difficult time and he had a building that needed some repair and so he bought him a, a good amount of paint. And it was a lot of paint and it was gonna be really helpful to this individual. And so he bought him the paint and he gave him the paint. Well, a year later he came back and he, had, he noticed that the paint hadn't been used over a year. And you know, as helpful as we can be, as helpful as we can be to each other, if I get the paint and don't use it, if I don't apply it, it doesn't really matter. God is giving me a truth, but if I don't apply that truth, then it becomes worthless. It's just paint sitting in a can, not being used for its purpose. This morning, are you ready to apply this? Have you been applying this? If you're applying this right now, praise God. But you know, we're not here for ourselves alone. You need to be training and teaching those around you to apply this. 
I need to train my children. You need to train whoever you have influence over in your life the importance of God's word. Listen, if you could train them how to be a millionaire, if you could train them how to be successful in sports, if you could train them in all these things, none of it lasts and none of it really matters. If you can train them to love God's word and to understand it and rightly divide it, you will have given them the greatest gift they could ever receive. And so we need to do this. We need to apply it. And we need to share it. So first, I believe the way to apply it is I need to take inventory on what is guiding my life. Why do I make the decisions I make? Why do I spend money this way? Why do I go to that place? Why? What leads me to any decision I make in life? Is it my gut feeling? Is it popular opinion? Is it just feel right? Or do I have something where I've heard from God and I know this is what God wants me to be doing? If I listened to God and said, this is what God has said, and that's what I'm going to do. Because this is that part that's not comfortable. This is that part that touches all of us and steps on all of our toes. And it says, do I really do that? When I make the big decisions or the small decisions in life, what leads me to those decisions? And Sunday, right now, is a good time to take inventory and to be honest. As I look at the inventory of all the decisions I've made, what is really guiding me? What is really guiding me? Not what do I say is guiding me, not do I want to be guiding me, but what is actually guiding me? Because until we deal with that, none of us is going to matter. We have to be honest because God is calling us to be his servants, and that begins with honesty. Second, I would say find a Bible study plan and stick with it. Find a plan. This is, we live in the most blessed time in the history of the world. If you lived 100 years ago, you would not have the availability to God's word like you have now. You have Bibles. You have computer apps. You have so much. We have so much. It's just an abundance beyond an abundance. God has made it so easy for us to get his word and to make it part of our lifestyle. I would encourage you, what I use is the U version. You can get all the translations of the Bible. You can cross-reference. You can look at the Hebrew, the Aramaic, or the Greek. You can see what other people, scholars, have said about it. You can see what pastors have said about it. You can follow other pastors and their teachings about the different scriptures. You can look at what has been said and done throughout history for applying these things to your life. We have so many tools to be used today. We're without excuse when it comes to how much do we listen to God. And so I would encourage you, if you don't currently have a plan for your life of studying God's word, that you would start one. Thirdly, I would say join a group. I have a group of guys on Friday morning, and we study God's word together. There's a group we study God's word on Wednesday. There are groups that study God's word on Sunday morning before this. There are plenty of places, and if we don't have a place, we'll start a place for you to study God's word together. Because it's that important. There's nothing you're going to do that's more valuable than this. There's nothing you can do that's going to have more influence in a positive direction in your life than you doing these types of things, committing to them. Fourthly, I would say ask God for help. We all need God's help. We cannot do this alone. And then the last thing I would say in application, I think this is so important and it's so helpful. Write down what God tells you. Write it down. When God speaks to you, record it. And you'll go back and you'll look at that later and you may forget what God tells you sometimes. And he'll remind you in a way that's special, unique, and powerful. 
Think about it. If the Pope or the president or whoever that's the powerful person were to speak to you, you would never forget what they told you. How much greater the creator of the universe taking time to speak directly to you. Write it down. Remember it. Cherish it. Make it important. Your faith is only as real as your faith is real. Because if I don't believe this, I don't believe this. But if I do believe it, then I take it seriously. So it starts this way. Have you come to Christ as your Lord and Savior? When I was 16, he gave me an appetite. Not because I was a good person. Not because something I did. It was because of the Holy Spirit of God entering me as a human and giving me a new appetite. Has, have you received the Holy Spirit into your life? Does the Holy Spirit of God dwell inside of you? Has he given you an appetite for him? To do that, you need to be twice born. Romans 10.9 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is repentance and belief that leads to new life. And then finally, what is God telling you? What is God telling you right now? He speaks in a way that no one else speaks. It's soft, and it's deep, and it's powerful, and you can't, you can't overcome it because it's so powerful. Psalms 119.105, it says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Do you want God's word to be a light for your feet and a lamp for your path? It's a challenge. I'm tempted to make my own way, to run in the darkness wherever it leads. But today, I'm reminded, I need a light for my feet and I need a lamp for my path.